Well, you know, it is amazing what God can do, isn't it? And uh, we've been talking over the last few weeks about being ready. Being ready for what? Well, uh, and, and you know, and, and Scott talked about the cost. Sometimes the cost that it comes to for being ready. But you know what? We're going to study in the book of Acts starting today. And we're going to bring the church out of the shadows. Out of the shadows. The things that need to happen. You know, it's like, are you awake? Good morning, church. Good morning. Are you awake? Yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, God is doing some things. We have to join him. We need to. Not do the things we want to do, but the things he wants to do. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Out of the shadows, huh? Well, you feel like you're in the shadows sometimes? Just not really, and kind of nervous to say something or do something? Well, we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 through 11 today. You know, there's an Indianapolis pastor by the name of Russ Blowers who was a member of the local Rotary Club. My dad used to be a member of a Rotary Club, and I remember I went a few times. You've probably all heard of Rotary Club. And at the club meeting each week, a different member told a little bit about his job. And when it was Russ's turn to talk about his job, here's what he said. He said, well, I'm, I'm with a global enterprise. We have branches in every country in the world. We have our representatives in nearly every parliament and boardroom on earth. We're into motivation and behavior alteration. We run hospitals, feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. Well, we care for our clients from birth to death. We're into life insurance and fire insurance. <laughs> we perform spiritual heart transplants. <laughs> Our original organizer owns all the real estate on the entire planet Earth. Hmm. Yeah, plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations as well. He knows everything and he lives everywhere. Our product is free for the asking, although there's probably not enough money anywhere to buy it. Our CEO was born in a hick town worked as a carpenter, didn't own a home, was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies, walked on water, was condemned to death without a fair trial, and arose from the dead. And I talk to him every day. <laughs> That's how this pastor described his job to the Rotary Club. You see, friends, we are part of the most important and amazing truth this world will ever see or know. We are part of that. The church of the living God. That's where we're at right here. Are you ready for that? Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, seeing how you unveiled the church to go forward, Father, and the hand that you had upon it, and the guidance that you gave us, Father, and you still give us. 
Father, may you bless this time. May we hear your words today, Father. May we hear your proof and your positive ways of moving forward, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do and for the foundations that you've laid for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So the birth of, the birth, the book of Acts <laughs> tells us about the birth of God's church. And in these three opening verses, God, God shows us some three great themes that are going to happen throughout this book. First of all, Jesus wants us to see the importance of his work, what he's doing, and join him in that work. Luke 1, 1 through 3, like I said, I'm sorry, Acts 1, 1 through 3. <laughs> I got carried away here. Um, begins by stressing the Lord's work. This, this uh, beloved physician, Luke, who wrote this, began by saying this to young man Theophilus, who was a, a young man who he wrote, uh, Luke wrote to a lot. Um, Luke was the first book that Luke put together, and he sent that to Theophilus, and then he wrote Acts, and he sent this also to Theophilus. And the first account goes, starts like this. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had had, after he had by the Holy Spirit been given orders to the apostles whom he chose. To these, he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. There's a lot of things tied into the things that show that there was proof. The words in the Greek, you know, speak of, of when they said they presented themselves, meant that people's eyeball, they actually saw him. And, and when uh, he, he was talking about speaking things, he spoke to people. He ate food with them. He was there. A ghost or, or a spirit doesn't do that. He was there. And in ver these verses, Luke stressed the, the Lord's work. And, and one of the really great things to notice about the Lord's work in verse 1 is that his work is just beginning and, and yet to continue. That's why we're here, because it's continuing. You know, Luke mentioned the things that Jesus began to do. And, and, and I really love that phrase, he began to do. Yeah, because it reminds us that God's not finished yet. He's still working. He's still at work. And Jesus Christ is certainly at work in our world today, if you really look and see what's going on. He is. And you can trust that he is at work in your life right now, today. Even though it may be hard to see at times. We, we struggle at times with that. And, and my friends, the, the, the work of Jesus continues. And it's amazing. It's amazing what he can do. Jesus Christ <laughs> is not doing, though. He's not doing just puny little things, little work in his, his own things, you know. He's doing things in the whole universe. He's doing God-sized things. And Luke reminds us that 
the truth, you know, in verse 3, where he said that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Well, John Gill, a guy, explained that this infallible proofs included the fact that Jesus ate, like I said, and drank with his disciples. You know, th think about that. What a blessing that must have been to sit down and eat with the risen Christ. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Man. And, and you know, the thing of it is, though, we're going to get to do that someday. We are. If you're ready. If you're there. Jesus also walked and talked with them in free and familiar manner. Yeah, you know, he, he also showed them his hands, his feet. Feet and, and his side so that they could see the scars which the nails and spears made in him. And in this way, Jesus proved to them that he was not just a ghost and he, or a spirit, but really alive in, in that body that suffered on the cross. Jesus Christ certainly died on the cross, but he certainly arose, and he's alive, friends. He's alive. He's not dead. And he's alive now and forevermore. And that's what he promises us. That, and, and, and you guys, that's a God-sized work. It is. <laughs> and, and God is still at work in our world today. If we just open our eyes and look and be willing to see and not stay focused on our fleshly desires. He's there. He's healing people. He's helping hurting people. He's saving souls. He's transforming lives. And he's meeting our needs. And that's one of the things in, in, in the experiencing God that, that I love too. He meets our needs. Not our wants that our fleshly desires tell us we might want. But he meets every need that we have if we are following him. You see, <laughs> Jesus wants us, to, wants us to see the importance of his work and to join him where he's at. And if we're going to reach people, that's what we got to do. We got to reach things. We got to do things. Join him. Not just sit here and... Say, okay, that's a nice, nice cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Leslie. <laughs> it's important that we see him and where he's at. And secondly, he wants us to see the importance of his words, the things he's telling us. In, in these opening verses, the focus isn't just on Jesus' works. It's also about his words. Jesus had a lot to do. But he also had a lot to say, didn't he? He did. L listen again to verses 1 through 3, where Luke said, the, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. He teaches and he gives orders. To those he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking, speaking, he's telling them of the things concerning the kingdom of God. 
Verse 1, Jesus began to teach. And he's still the greatest teacher that this world has ever seen, ever. John Phillips said it was the beginning of a new kind of teaching. In John 7, 46, some of the temple guards who heard Jesus say, no man ever spoke like this man. And in Matthew 7, 28 to 29, he wraps up the Lord's sermon on the, sermon on the Mount by saying, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see that? Jesus taught as one having authority. <laughs> Where in the world is anything to be found to compare with that and with the Sermon on the Mount? Anywhere. You know, who, who, whoever has told stories like Jesus, you know, like the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, and so many more. Whoever had such a grasp on the future of what was going to happen. Friends, Jesus' teaching was amazing. It was marvelous. And it's saturated with scripture. It was understandable. It was practical. It was something people could understand, right? And that's what we have to be doing is preaching to understand. And it's loving. The heart's there, true and convicting. It was delivered with compassion and courage and with a total grasp of all the factors of space, time, and eternity. And all this was given in complete harmony with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus began to teach, and he wants to teach us today. Hopefully that's why you come. <laughs> and I, I hope you could come and listen to the experiencing God in the mornings at 9 o'clock. It's worth it. And, and come and listen to Bible study on Wednesday nights. And, and, and there are so many opportunities for us. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus teaches about the promises of God. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The great promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit had never been around like that before, will surely come to pass. And we can always, always count on the promises of God to come to pass, always. Jesus teaches us about the promises of God, and in verse 6 and 7 he says about the priorities of God. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You see, sometimes we tend to make majors out of minors, don't we? We like to focus on some things, and I've said it before in a way that we like to do good things, and by doing so many good things, we miss the best. And uh, that's, he's telling us, you know, wait. And, and like I shared with some of you this morning, I, God has been on my heart telling me, 
wait. Because I'm not going, what am I doing wrong here, Lord, to bring this church together, to bring people here? And he, he told me, don't, don't worry about the basement. Don't worry about the signs. He said, worry about the people. And he says, wait. Wait on him because he has a plan coming. And that's what we have to do. You know, we oftentimes think about the minor things. That sign out there is not near as important as you guys right there. Not near as important, or as you. The basement isn't as, as near as important as you guys or you, Jordan. None of it. That's where the importance is. It's right here. The Lord has ways to refocus our hearts, though, doesn't he? Uh, on his priorities, which lead us to obedience. In verse 7, Jesus spoke uh, to focus our priorities. And then verse 9 and 11, he sent his angels to, again to focus on his, his priorities. He said, now when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly forward to heaven, upward to heaven, as he went up, behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. Now this is where I had a little struggle with, with uh, um, brother um, <laughs> doing the... the uh, um, and the experiencing God with, with uh, Henry there, where he said, you know, we hear that. Don't just stand there, do something. And he's saying, no, don't just do something. Stand there and look. See what's going on. But then don't just stay standing there, I think. He means go do something then. Do what I've told you to do. <laughs> so don't just stand there gazing all the time. Go and do what Jesus has told us to do now. Jesus teaches us about the priorities of God, and in verse 8, he teaches us about the power of God. There the Lord began by telling his apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God wants us to know that there's no way that we can do his work in our own strength. There's no way. But he will give us the power and the strength. <laughs> that we need to live for him. We need that. You see, my friends, Jesus teaches us about the promises, the priorities, and power of God. And, and, and there's this life-saving, soul-changing, heart-healing power in his word. It's there. The, the truth is revealed in the story of a wonderful Christian woman named Agnes Fraser. <laughs> For 50 years, Agnes and her husband, Emmett, read the Bible and prayed together almost every morning at the breakfast table. On the day that Emmett passed away, Agnes went to bed thinking that she could never again start that day with those devotional times. But the next morning, she bravely sat at the kitchen table. Agnes opened her Bible to the spot where she and her husband had quit their reading 24 hours previously. It was Isaiah 54, and the words that stood out to her were from verse 5. It said, For your maker is your husband. 
The Lord of hosts is his name. Agnes smiled and said, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That day she learned another vital lesson from the Lord's word. And as long as we are in this world, the Lord wants to teach us too. All we have to do is listen to him. Look to him. That's what we have to do. Jesus wants us to see the importance of his words and be obedient to them. He's speaking to us. And finally, he wants us to see the importance of his witnesses. You know, this is the third great theme. And we see this in verse 8 where Jesus spoke. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witness, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Beloved, God calls us to be his faithful witnesses. He does. <laughs> All Christians are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. What Jesus said in verse 8 was not just for the apostles. It's for us too. It is. Don't shy away from it. <laughs> You know, uh, another in the New American Standard, it says, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We watched that little video at the start of them planting a church in Portland. That's almost a very, you know, Portland, like he described, is a very, very uh, dark place. It is a dark place. But he's at work there. All Christians, all of us are called to share the good news about Jesus Christ, starting in Jerusalem. In other words, right here, starting right here, right here at home with our friends and our family and our neighbors, the people right here in this city, in this county. Jesus said, you should be my witnesses and notice. Jesus doesn't say, you'll be my defense attorney. He doesn't say, you'll be my prosecutor. He doesn't say, you'll be my salesperson. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to be a salesman for God. All God wants you to do is be a witness for him. Be a witness. So what's a witness? Huh. A witness is someone who just tells what they've seen what they've had, what they've felt, what they know. I saw this, and then I saw this, and, and, and this is what happened. Wow. And a witness tells what happened to them. You see, you are the expert on your life. Nobody is a better witness on your life than you are. Nobody. Nobody can be a better witness of what God has done in your life than you. God says, I just want you to tell other people what's happened to you. Be a witness. What's happened in your life? And, and, and I want you to start with people close to you. That's what he's telling you. Start with people close to you. Tell them what God's been doing. That's a witness. And we all are called to do that. 
There's a great example of this in, in Luke 8, when Jesus healed a man who possessed was possessed by demons. Most of you have read that story probably. After the Lord healed him, the man really wanted to go with Jesus. But the Lord sent him back to be a witness in his own hometown. And that man did exactly what the Lord wants us to do. Be witnesses right here. This is the starting of what the true church is all about. That's why in that first century, after Jesus died, the church didn't die because people witnessed what he had done and carried it forward. That's why we're here. <laughs> you know, he wants us to be faithful witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, you know, in our state. Not just right here, but all over. There's so many opportunities, like we saw in the video, about Portland, anywhere. There's witnesses where you're at, maybe, just driving through, or if you stop at a gas station or whatever. And Jesus wants us to be faithful witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, across the country. Maybe we have family, other places that are there, that, that we can help them share their testimony as well. And... You know, and, and when you think about that, that probably really shocked the disciples <laughs> because of that huge ra religious and racial divide that they had between the Jews and the Samaritans. They probably were going, ah, oh, really? I don't know. <laughs> I remember in John 4, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, she was shocked that he'd even talked to her. Huh. You see, Jesus wants us to be faithful. Faithful witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Everywhere. And into the utmost parts of the earth. Doesn't mean that we have to go to Kenya like Russell and Rachel did this week. But we can help support people like that to go. That's part of some of what we can do. Some of us physically can't do that. But we can all get involved some way. And we should get involved because Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody does. Back in the year 2000, Rick Warren told a story about a man who took his son to, and his son's three best friends to the carnival. He, he bought a roll of tickets, and at each ride, he'd give each one of the boys a, a ticket and, a, and to his son and to his three best friends. And then they'd move on to the next ride. But about the fifth ride down what they were doing, he looked down and there was a new little face down there <laughs> sticking out his hand, you know. And uh, he, he looked down at this little boy and said, who are you? Who are you? And that little boy said, I'm your son's new best friend. <laughs> and he said, he said, your son told me if I was his friend, his father would give me a free ticket. <laughs> So the dads, you know, in the story said, you think I gave him a ticket? Yeah, you bet I did, of course. <laughs> and Rick Warren carried that to a friend. He said, then Rick Warren said to this dying teacher that he was talking to, Professor Joe, your heavenly father, God has a ticket for you to heaven. It's a free ticket. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You'll never deserve it. It's free. The only way you'll get it is by being a friend of his son, Jesus Christ. That's witnessing, friends. 
take what God has given you and what he's put you through and what he's taken, good, bad, and the ugly, whatever. He has purpose in everything he's done in your life. Take that and share it with others. Bring them to the Lord. Give them that free ticket and tell them, here it is. All you have to do is be a friend of Jesus. Help them with that. You see, everybody needs Jesus, don't they? Everybody needs Jesus. So here in the book of Acts, Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see the importance of his work. He wants to see the importance of his words. And he wants us to see the importance of his witness. May we focus on these truths as we go through this book together and and make these themes part of our life as we walk each day, wherever we go, whatever we do. Make these part of our life because that is how, in the book of Acts, this church has survived and grown and thrived in many areas for over 2,000 years. It's up to us. It's our decision to make, friends. So, together, let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning. May our hearts be turned to you as the, those in the first century did. And may we be a renewal, you know. Luke wrote two volumes. May ours be the 21st volume here, Father of letting that church shine your light, Father, to others. Glorify your name in this time, Father. Glorify and sh shower this, these people, Father, with your love. Thank you, Lord, that we have your words and the guidance and the themes to follow to do what you've created us to do. I say this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.